Yeah, I, I actually, I just want to touch on yesterday's event before we go into uh, the sermon this morning. Uh, you know, I, I had the, the joy of being kind of the welcoming committee stroke security, kind of just keeping an eye outside. Uh, and it was just so awesome. You know, we had possibly somewhere in the ballpark of about 250 children. Uh, and the reason we know we had somewhere around 250 children is because we had initially printed 200 little game cards that the kids got as they came in. And we, uh, we used up all of those and then had to go and copy 80 more. And we used up kind of most of those, well, nearly half of those as well. So we're somewhere in the ballpark of 250 kids. That's, that's not counting parents. Um, you know, I, I got to say, I think some of those kids are growing up with a distorted view of life. Uh, they think they're celebrities with this whole entourage coming with them. You know, there's one little kid with a, a bag of goodies followed by mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, uncle. You know, just this whole entourage doting on them with uh, food, drinks, and tissues. You know, it's just, it's awesome. Uh, and being outside, obviously, I got to see the fun with the grandpa train. And for those of you who don't know the grandpa train, Harry has his little uh, scooter that he has converted into a train. And he has these little kind of cabooses at the back there, or carriages at the back, I should say, where all the kids sit on and sometimes parents as well. Uh, and he just takes them on laps around the parking lot. And I don't really know who has more fun. I, you know, I kind of feel like Harry seems to be having way more fun. Um, but just to echo Lisa's thanks, uh, we had numbers of parents, not just one or two. We had so many coming up to us afterwards, simply thanking us. Uh, one mother said, this is the first event we've had and experienced with our kids in three to four years. Uh, you know, because they were little and then there was COVID. And I did the math and realized, you know, for a six-year-old kid, the last three years is half of their life. Uh, you know, and some of these kids haven't had these opportunities yet. And so this mother was just so thankful for what we did. Uh, and, and it's weird because I think a lot of people think, well, Brian, you're the senior pastor, so it's all on you. I'm like, I did nothing. In fact, I was told you just stand there and look pretty and talk to people. That was the sum total of what I did in preparation for yesterday. It was all a team of volunteers, young all the way through to not so young, uh, and then, as Lisa said, all the baking that you guys did. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But that's why we're here, isn't it? I mean, that's the desire of White Rock Baptist Church. Now, we say it all the time. We want to be a loving community of hope in Jesus Christ, worshiping God and growing in faith to impact the world. And what better way to impact the world than to serve the community during Easter and to, to bring the gospel message and to show them what Easter is really about, to, to celebrate and to show them that Christians aren't a bunch of sour people, you know, with those sour faces who are always mad and it's like they're, they're always angry at something. No, we can, we can be fun. We can have uh, excitement and enjoyment and enthusiasm because we celebrate a risen Savior. You know, when I go back to yesterday, if I can just be serious for a moment, when I go back to yesterday, there was a family that came in, uh, mom, dad, two kids, and an uncle. Uh, the mom in that family has terminal brain cancer. And I just thought, you know, she's in the valley of the shadow of death. But this is, this is something for her kids. 
to celebrate that even in that valley, death is not the end. You see, we celebrate because we have a hope. And our hope is in Jesus Christ. And we can focus on that. And so while we at White Rock Baptist Church had this huge party yesterday as we celebrated, because we know the story, we know the outcome. You know, I think back to those first disciples and that first Easter weekend. It seems to me the first Easter weekend was a pretty terrible time. There was no Easter event being held by First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. There was nothing on the go. In fact, when we read in Scripture, the only activity that's recorded on the Saturday of that Easter weekend is activity by the Pharisees, the enemies of Christ. We read in, in Matthew 27, just a couple of verses there, in Matthew 27, the next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate, Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples might come and steal the body and tell the people he has been risen from the dead. And this last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went, and they made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. You know, the, the only concern and the only activity on that first Easter Saturday was the enemies of Christ who were concerned that the disciples would put this, this sham, this deception together by stealing his body. Of course, no concern was really necessary. Because if we read the story, the disciples themselves were in meltdown mode. And when Jesus was arrested, the disciples ran for their lives. They were worried that there was a cross out there with their names on it. And so they said, I'm out of here. And on that Saturday, their fear, there's no courage, there's no hope. None of the disciples were thinking... So what are you going to say to Jesus tomorrow when he comes back? And none of them were thinking, I wonder what his body is going to look like. What's going to happen when, when Jesus comes in tomorrow? No. They were sitting and hiding in utter despair. And it blows my mind. And I know you and I, kind of we read the story and we go, oh, I would never have been like that. <laughs> Actually, we all would have been like that. But it blows my mind that the disciples heard Jesus on multiple occasions explain. In fact, in Mark chapter 9, kind of quite before this, Jesus says, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise on the third day. You would have thought the disciples would be sitting around kind of doing some math. Trying to work out, now, did he mean on the third day or after three whole days? Because we're still debating that, you know, centuries later. But, you know, if it's on the third day, uh, we're close to it. T today, you know, tomorrow should be the day. Uh, you would have thought they would kind of plan their own sunrise service. But no. Nobody connects the dots. No one has hope. None of the disciples have courage. And so on Sunday, 
they go to embalm Jesus. We read this in, in Mark 16, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they mo- might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone from the entrance of the tomb? That sure doesn't seem like an Easter parade. That doesn't seem like a celebration. It doesn't seem like victory and, and, and a party in the hearts of followers of Jesus. Not at all. They're still stuck in that hopelessness of the Saturday before. Uh, let me pause there and kind of ask, don't you ever feel like that? Doesn't it sometimes just feel like we're stuck in this hopelessness that is Saturday? Yeah, sure, we know Christ died. And we think we know the outcome. We know what's coming. But we're caught in this place. We're caught in, in our own valley of the shadow of death. We're caught in our own problems, in our own hopelessness. And we feel like our world is stuck here with, with nothing good coming. It feels like every day is a rainy day. Every, every day the sky is gray. And I'm not just talking about Vancouver. I'm talking about our emotions. Our spiritual sense, our hearts. There's this seemingly endless pain. And just like those disciples on Saturday, we have no hope, we have no courage, we have no reason to be positive. We're stuck there. You know, and, and, and we kind of try, we've tried before to put our hope in something or someone, yet they always seem to let us down. It seems like regardless, death is always the end. Death is always the result. Even, even our Savior, even our, um, dis, uh, our Lord, sorry, he died. Imagine the disciples. We understood that Jesus was going to save everyone. We thought Jesus was going to be this ruler who would overthrow Rome. We would be victorious. What better time than the Passover? Yet Jesus died. And man, death sucks. It just, it seems to happen. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, young or old, smart or not. We will all face the grave. We will all find that moment when death comes. Every now and then when I do a funeral message, I quote a a famous celebrity who once said, I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. (laughs) And that's really how we all look at it. Like nobody, nobody welcomes death. Nobody wants to die. In fact, those people who want to die, generally we say, you've got some problems. Let's work through that. Let's help. Let's journey into hope. And that's what Easter gives us. Easter gives us hope. Easter gives us the strength to realize that death is not the end. Death is not a terminal ending to everything. If anything, death is an exit ramp. Death is the entrance in to life, to true life. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about how you will face those final moments in your life? 
sometimes I kind of think about, how am I going to face death? You know, will, will I have courage? Will I have the strength and the fortitude and the faith in God that regardless what comes my way, I will still be able to stand strong, unafraid of that ending, resting secure in Christ my Lord? Or will I cower just like those disciples on a Saturday? Will I be stuck in that Saturday state of mind that says there is no hope, it is hopeless, and we are defeated? Yet, Jesus Christ moves us from that Saturday into Sunday. He moves us from that last day of death on earth into life. And this is what the Easter stories tell us. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to John chapter 20, reading from verse 11 in the NIV version. You can grab a pew Bible or you can grab your phone or something like that. We're going to read from John 20, verse 11. Onwards, And I'm going to pause now again as we go. And this is such a powerful Easter story. I love this one. It's a story about Mary Magdalene, really. And in verse 11 of, of uh, John chapter 20, we read, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. Can we pause for a moment here? Mary Magdalene buried far more than just a friend that weekend. Mary Magdalene buried the only person and indeed the first person who ever truly helped her. We don't know a lot about Mary. We don't know her entire story, but we know something powerful from Mark chapter 16, verse nine. Because Mark 16, verse nine says, when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. You know, in scripture, the number seven generally means completion. And so if we look at it like that, Mary was completely afflicted. There was this supernatural affliction. There was something over her. There were these demons tormenting her. And most people shied away from her. Most people stayed, you know, kept a distance I think we still do that today. We see people that we, we can't understand, we don't know how to engage with, and, and there just seems to be something different or wrong about them. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus goes over to her, and Jesus heals her. He doesn't only befriend her, he delivers her. He sets her free from that oppression. He sets her free from this torment that she's been in all her life. Jesus wasn't just some teacher or a rabbi. Jesus wasn't just a friend. There was so much more. And so when she comes to the tomb and she discovers his body is gone, the stone is rolled away, it doesn't occur to her that maybe Jesus is doing what he said he would do. She missed that miracle. But in there, she's weeping because Jesus is not there. She sees the angels, and, and I wonder if she actually realized that they were angels. 
You know, maybe in her grief, she, she saw two interesting characters and, and just they were out of place, but she didn't kind of stop to go, wait a minute. And maybe there are times in our lives when we're so stuck in despair, so stuck in sadness and darkness, it's so thick around us, the walls so high, and we feel like we simply cannot get out. It feels like everything is closing in on us. God could send us a miracle or, or a blessing and, and maybe we wouldn't even notice it or see it. Reading from verse 14 in John 20. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking it was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. You see what Jesus did there? Jesus doesn't give up on Mary. Jesus doesn't point out to Mary, Mary, look at this. There's two angels sitting over there, and here's me. What's wrong with you? Get a grip. He doesn't do that. He simply, gently, with a smile on his face, asks, what's wrong? Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And so he comes to her as that gentle shepherd that we read in Scripture. Jesus is ever patient with us. He embodies that heart of God. Our God is love. And he shows this love. He's patient with Mary. And my friends, you and I need to understand he is patient with you and I. He is patient with us. In fact, the prophet Micah speaks about this in Micah chapter 7. He says, where is another God like you who pardons the sins of his people? You cannot stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing mercy. Once again, you have compassion on us. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing with Mary. Once again, he has compassion. You know, maybe there's some people in here this morning Maybe you're going through that season of life where it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't seem like Christ is there. Let me encourage you that once again, God extends compassion to you. It doesn't matter what you're going through. We're all actually going through something. Whether it's the economy, maybe it's family issues, maybe it's health, maybe it's a job. Uh, maybe literally facing death after a doctor's diagnosis. Maybe it's just one problem on top of another. At some point when we tend to hit that valley, when we walk through that valley of the shadow of death, and we might think that God is angry with us. <laughs> Yet Jesus says, no. No. I extend grace and mercy. In fact, I could say that God is more patient with me than I am with me. God is more patient with you than you are with you. And he's always there asking. You know, we, we kind of realize and we get stuck in Saturday. But do you notice what happened? What day was yesterday? Saturday. What day is tomorrow? Monday. What day is today? Sunday. It happened again. There was another Sunday after a Saturday. I just don't understand how that keeps happening. Yet there is always the new day. There is always a Sunday after a Saturday. And maybe this is why the psalmist writes in Psalm 30 verse 5, Weeping may go on all through the night, 
but joy comes with the morning. Now hear me, I'm not saying that miraculously all your woes are just going to change tonight overnight. I'm praying for that. But I know that Sunday comes after Saturday. It will come. And I know that God is patient with us. Even as we get angry, even as we get frustrated, even as we weep because we don't understand what's happening. I love how Mary responds. Thinking he was the gardener. Imagine looking at Jesus, the risen Jesus. And she goes, this must be the gardener. <laughs> Thinking she, he's the gardener. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. There's her devotion to her Lord. Tell me where he is. I will go get him. I will do what needs to be done. He is still my Lord. And then in verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary, Mary turned and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. When she heard Jesus call her name, she knew exactly who he was. This wasn't the gardener. This is my Lord. This is my rabbi. This is my friend. This is Jesus. Someday you and I will hear Jesus call our names. How will we respond when he calls our names? Maybe for some of us, we will hear that. I don't know what the process of death is like. I really do wish I did, but I don't. But maybe in that final moment, as I said on Friday, uh, we read in scripture that when we die, we, we appear before the Lord. And maybe in that moment of death, that's when we will hear Jesus turn to us and go, Brian. And we'll hear our Lord call our name. And you know what? All of those Saturdays will seem inconsequential. All of those Saturdays will, will seem meaningless. They have no more value. They have no more weight. They have no more hold over us. And while we might talk about the Saturday now and we get upset and angry, I guarantee you when we chat in heaven, Saturday is going to mean nothing. Sunday will be the day. Because it's the day my Lord called my name. Because he is the risen Savior. He is the risen King. We sing about it. Jesus rose from the grave on Sunday. And while we might be stuck in that Saturday state of mind, Jesus calls us and says, come, come and follow me. Come and join me on this day. Death will come for all of us. That's the only certainty I can guarantee you in life. That until Jesus comes again, we will die. But you know what? Death no longer has victory. Death no longer has a sting. Death no longer has teeth. Death is powerless because Jesus Christ has conquered death. Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. Death is no longer that dead end street. Death is that step into life and life eternal. And you know what? All of that beauty of heaven 
stood up in the tomb on that Sunday. And it stepped out into the dawn on that Sunday. And it called people by name because Jesus called by name. I don't know where you are today. Very well could be in a Saturday. Won't you listen for your Savior calling you by name and calling you into Sunday? Let's pray together. Jesus, when we contemplate the, the magnitude, the magnificence, the beauty of Easter, we gather on Friday, and, and yes, there's a sense of mourning because there's death. And we understand that death took place to, to free us from sin, that death was the price for sin. But when death comes to us, it, it leaves us stuck in a Saturday. Stuck in that dark place. Even as we walk through our own valley of the shadow of death. And we face death with fear and trepidation. Yet Jesus, Sunday came. And on that first Easter Sunday, as you stepped out of the grave into the light and into life, you showed us that you have conquered death. And just as your death covered our sin, so your resurrection assures us and gives us eternal hope for eternal life in your presence. Jesus, there might be people here this morning who are looking for you. And almost like Mary, they're at that tomb going, where is Jesus? Maybe even who is Jesus? Jesus, I pray this morning, would you call us by name May we hear that tender shepherd heart, that eternally patient, eternally loving, that voice with the smile calling by name. And in that moment, may we see you as Christ, the risen Savior. And may we cry out, teacher, Lord, friend. Oh God, reveal yourself to us this day that we might continue to worship you. For we ask this in the matchless, eternal name of our risen Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. And together we say, Amen. Amen.